Fixate on Code, Episode 3. All right, Larry Buerta here, and you're listening to Fixate on Code, the weekly bite-sized podcast where I talk to the best devs about their favorite strategies for writing great code. And today's featured guest is Safia Abdullah. Safia, are you ready to get down to business? I definitely am. Safia works independently, making an impact on businesses with her skills in data analysis, front-end development, and technical writing. Safia is a serial open-source contributor, is the creator of Legit, a command-line tool to make adding licenses to projects and files a cinch, and on top of that, Safia is a regular speaker at dev conferences. Safia, can you fill in some of the gaps in that intro and tell me a little bit about what you get up to when you're not writing code? Sure. So in addition to writing legit, I've written a couple of open source tools that are all aimed to make the development experience better. I've also written Goops, which is a command line tool that aims to make it easier to intelligently add git ignore files to your projects. Um, and when I'm not coding or speaking at Dev conferences, one of my favorite things to do is run or drink tea or read books. Um, I know that's like a pretty boring set of interests, but they're my passions. Um, <laughs> so if you're, if I'm not on a keyboard, you can find me either outside or curled up on the couch with my Kindle. <laughs> All right. What are you most passionate about as a developer? One of the things that I'm most passionate about as a developer is kind of the energy and the freshness of pursuing a new project or diving in and starting to learn about a new framework or a new language or a new tool. And just that like experience of having no clue what you're doing and that awkwardness, um, I think as you get older and like you exist on the planet for a longer period of time, it's harder to find those experiences that challenge you and make you feel uncomfortable without having to like go out of your way. Um, but being a developer gives you the chance to try something new and to feel uncomfortable on a regular basis as long as you've got a laptop or a computer and an internet connection. And I think that's um, what I'm most passionate about as a developer, it's new experiences. How long have you been working independently doing projects where, where you've been the head of those projects? Oh, that's such an interesting question. And it's hard to answer. If we count open source and kind of like maintaining open source projects as a leadership on a project, I'd say I've been in a leadership capacity on stuff for about a year now. So it's not that long for me. Um, but I've definitely always been the kind of person who uh, looks to take like a management role um, and be a bit of a boss when it comes to any project I'm involved in. Um, I like to make things and create things. Um, so I think officially I've had titles associated with leadership on me for only about a year or so, but I've had that like creator and leader mindset for much longer than that. How long would that be? Oh boy. Um, I think probably four years at this point. Um, most of my leadership and organization work has been in the tech community. So not technical projects, but more um, organizing events and people. I've uh, organized a couple of meetups. I've run my own workshop series on data science. Um, I've 
started a local nonprofit here in Chicago where I live that works with um, high school girls in their freshman and sophomore years um, to get them interested in technology. It was called Chick Tech Chicago. So I helped start that here um, with two other women. And I've just kind of always had that thing about me where if I see a problem, I want to make the simplest possible solution for it. Um, and either work to develop it or get it to a point where other people can take it over and continue to grow it. Um, so yeah, I think that's a brief summary of my experiences in leadership. <laughs> okay, so that's quite a range of expertise you've got there from starting nonprofits through to working in data analysis and front-end development and running open source projects on the side. Safia, can you take me to the worst experience you've ever had on a project? Yeah, sure. So without going into too much detail, I'll generalize just a bit of a trend I've experienced across multiple projects. Um, and I think the one thing that consistently has made it hard for me to engage with the project or continue to be involved with it in a leadership or member capacity has always been the inability to communicate intentions and expectations between people. Um, and I think this happens more so in software development and engineering, perhaps, than it does in other fields, uh, because a lot of what we do is create um, something where there was nothing before. Um, and whenever you create something new, you always have kind of an idea of what it's going to be used for and who you want it to target um, and what you want it to do. And I think it's very easy to get into a point um, when we're either writing software or creating communities where our intentions or expectations don't line up. And when they don't line up, feelings flare up. Um, the fact that there isn't any consistency across intentions makes it very hard to accomplish the necessary tasks that need to be done to make the project successful. And for me, what personally happens is I just get really disengaged with the project. Uh, whenever there's a lot of drama um, because of that underlying lack of consensus, um, I tend to kind of back away from things. Like I'm the kind of person who really likes harmony and like order mm -hmm. and people being together. And so when things start to like fracture, um, it's not in my comfort zone. And I'm trying to work on being better about that. <laughs> um, and I think a big part of um, kind of dealing with those situations is being able to make sure that people's intentions and expectations are at least reasonably lined up um, throughout the duration of a project. Like you're constantly checking in to make sure that everyone still has the same goal or similar goals um, and that no one's like veered off um, far to the left or right and is no longer kind of interested in what the project was intended for. Have you found any specific strategies that have assisted you in creating a more cohesive environment for everyone on the team? So this is something that I've only tried once, but I swear it works a lot. People would try. <laughs> it's, it's a very hard thing to convince developers to do. Um, and when I tell you what it is, you're going like, to realize why it's so hard to get developers to do it. And I think it's... <laughs> More people need to start um, introducing improv games and improv activities um, into their like technical and stand-up-like meetings. 
Um, and you tell that to like any team of developers, not to generalize or make kind of stereotypical assumptions about how developers are, but improv games, um, by their very nature, are designed to make people uncomfortable um, and introduce discontinuity between the way we engage. Uh, like improv is all about being able to deal with things not going the way that you expect them to go. Um, and still kind of just trusting the people that you're communicating with and realizing that you can move forward and accomplish something. Um, and I think if people do improv games regularly, they can get to a point where the skills they build during an improv session, that ability to trust the person you're um, doing the improv with, that ability to be comfortable with kind of silly disasters happening and just to laugh them off can translate really well into like the real world. Which specific improv game have you found to be effective? Yeah, so one improv game that's kind of uh, really simple to do is to start off and pick like a list of three words um, that are going to compromise a story. And then to have everyone um, on your team kind of get into a circle um, or some sort of like collaborative arrangement of seating um, and have one person say one sentence from a story. Um, and the idea is that you take what the first person said and you continue it and you're welcome to go any way you want with it um, until kind of the story is wrapped up. And so in the end, you start off with like three words and you get this like insane story. Um, that shows up at the end, but it's something that you all build together and it still has a common theme in those three words that you picked and everybody had the chance to introduce their own unique twist to it. And then at the end, everyone kind of gets like a really great laugh out of it. So if you're like <laughs> in a really tense situation with your team, it's a really great way to diffuse that. Cool. Um, so that's like a really quick and easy improv game to start off with that you can do multiple times because it's really easy to vary and across multiple teams. Yeah, and I can see how a lot of devs would be would be quite resistant to that, but it's usually outside of our comfort zones that we that we experience the most growth. Yeah, as you can tell, I'm really interested in this kind of, uh, as I was saying earlier, I think one of the best parts about being a developer is kind of confronting new experiences often. So that this is a perfect way to do that. <laughs> All right, Safia. So you are a command line ninja as your GitHub profile and Twitter feed show. In terms of getting quality work done on a daily basis, is there a specific method or tool that you'd just hate to be without? So I'm a really... I want to say traditionalist developer, but that might be the wrong word to use. I'm a very minimalist developer. And I've kind of talked about this on Twitter before. I actually don't use a lot of tools in my workflow. And when I do, I want them to be really simple with very minimalist APIs. Uh, so for me, like uh, if I'm starting a new dev project, what I'll usually do is I'll open up my terminal. I use the hyper terminal, which is a really... I think new terminal, a lot of people ask me about it on Twitter. Every time I post a GIF or a screen cap of my terminal, they're like, what is this insane terminal you're using? <laughs> it is the hyper terminal. And I'll usually have my work split out into three panes. I think that's the one thing that's been consistent about my development style for like the past six years is I always have three panes open on my terminal. Mm -hmm. Um one is uh, my Vim editor. The second is just a blank, empty um, command line shell for me to like enter commands into if I'm like trying to 
commit to Git or make a push to Git. And the third is either running the dev server or running the test suite with um, a live reload or something like that. And that's like, that consistency is important for me to get work done. Like I need to have a space to write code, a space to confirm that it's working or not working, which is most often the state it's in, in a way for me to like throw off little commands here and there. Um, other than that, I really do not use a lot of tools. I don't have syntax highlighting turned on in Vim, which kind of freaks people out. Um, what? Yeah, I don't. I turned off syntax highlighting, I want to say about six months ago. So this is a recent thing for me, but it's worked <laughs> okay. really well. You actually don't need it. And I've heard a lot of people say, oh, don't you misspell things? Um, more often, you actually don't. Your brain kind of slowly learns to make up for the fact that, you know, function or whatever keyword exists in the language you're working with is not highlighted. And you actually like start to make less syntax errors because there is no syntax highlighting. You're kind of more hyper aware of the keywords you're typing. Um, so yeah, I have no tools. I think the one thing that is absolutely necessary for me to successfully complete a project. And I say this as someone who's kind of more recently been like on a serial open source binge, like I've been <laughs> releasing so many projects like on my Twitter, it's a little insane, <laughs> is there's this like freshness and excitement of a new idea. And for me, it's really important that I capture that energy and like put it to work right away. Um, like I might have an idea, like I had an idea for legit and I had an idea for legit. Um, I think it was like midnight or something. And I had to go in and like code it right away. Like I couldn't <laughs> wait the five, like the seven hours or like sleeping, whatever. That's like a terrible thing to say. I know like, <laughs> sleep is important, but it was really important for me to engage that energy and that spontaneous excitement of the idea and put it to work right away. So I find that like, in my opinion, personally for me, less tooling is better. Um, like you could throw me into like a random like dark room and give me nothing but like a shell with Vim and I'm like good to go, like I'm ready, uh, which is gonna come in handy someday, I hope. Um, <laughs> But yes, I'm a I'm a hyper minimalist developer. Yeah, and it's so easy to get bogged down in the tools and and getting stuck in the rabbit hole of tool upon tool upon tool when all you want is really to get some work done. Yeah, I always say I think as developers, this is not to hate on IDEs or anything like that. I think oftentimes as developers, we are taught to like have everything and pick what we want from it. Um, I think it's important to start off with a completely blank slate. And as you see a need for something, then to build the tool for it. Um, so another, uh, this, let's go back to legit because that's a really great um, example. Um, the idea for legit started off because I got really sick and tired of having to create a project on GitHub to get the license and then clone it. Like I wanted to be able to make the license um, right on the command line without having to create it on GitHub. As it turns out, there's actually a lot of tools that do that. Legit is not the only command line tool for adding licenses into your project. Um, I will say it is the only command line tool that I know of that allows you to add a um, 
a license header to a file, which is, I guess, the true challenge of our time. Um, I don't think think anyone adds uh, license headers to their files anymore. Um, But Legit was a tool that I made because I had a need that I wanted to satisfy. And so I introduced that tool into my workflow. The same thing with Goops um, and a couple of other tools. Um, I started off with a blank slate and added to it instead of starting off with a full suite of tools and an IDE um, or a complete text editor and then picking the ones that I wanted from that. Um, And I've written about this approach in one of my newsletters before about kind of the minimalist approach to programming and development where you start off with a little and build up to what you need um, instead of the other way around. So you've obviously eliminated a ton of craft from your daily workflow. But where in your daily work are you still meeting frustration? Where do you feel there's room for things to be done in a more effective way? Yes. So this is something that I continually struggle with. And I know there's a lot of solutions that exist, but I'm trying to find something that works best for me. Um, So with that preface in mind, I'm really looking for a good way to manage snippets um, of code or solutions to pre-existing problems um, in my workflow. So I'm I think most developers suffer from this. Um, And if not, then this is my confession. (laughs) I'm the kind of person who like Google something on a Tuesday um, and then I'll implement it in my code and then I'll forget about it like on Wednesday and have to look it up again. I just have those like weird quirks. Um, Like for example, I will never ever remember the syntax for adding an external reference to a style sheet in HTML. Like it's not, it's never gonna happen. I've <laughs> yeah. just accepted that. I have been building websites for 10 years now and I'm just never going to remember this. I'm not sure why, um, <laughs> but I'm looking for a way to manage snippets or manage solutions to things that I constantly look up in my development workflow. Um, And I know there's a couple of solutions that exist uh, for managing snippets and things like that, but I want something that exists with my, or that coexists with my mostly terminal-focused and Vim-focused approach to development. Um, That might already exist. I might just have to, like, up my Google skills. Um, (laughs) But that's probably the one where I'm lacking. Have you heard of an application called Dash? Yes. Um, I tried it and it didn't totally jive for me. I felt like it did more than I wanted it to do. Oh, um, okay. So that's, that's another thing which goes back to me being a hyper-minimalist developer. Um, is I just, there's like a, I have very limited expectations for all of my software. Like I'm very much so on the side of like do one thing and do it really well. Mm. Um, And that's been my philosophy to the tools I've built so far and to the tools that I like to use. Um, So that's, I think, something that I look for as a priority in a lot of the tools. And Dash, I know it's great, but it just didn't do it for me. (laughs) <laughs> and I know sometimes things don't feel good for, for some people like they do other people. I know there's yeah. tons of fans of Trello out there. And for me, it's it's really just never stuck. So now, Safia, in terms of new projects, libraries, and frameworks that are coming out, is there anything out there that you're really excited about at the moment? 
Yes, um, so I am mostly a JavaScript developer nowadays. Um, I started off in Python and was in the machine learning and data science world for a bit. Um, then I am currently in the middle of my brief, I, not brief, but in the middle of my web developer stint. I've become interested in systems programming recently. Um, and this isn't really a new language, I think, but it's something that I'm newly excited about, which is Go. Mm -hmm. um, and when I mentioned earlier, kind of the experience of like learning something new and being t totally confused and out of your comfort zone, that's like me right now with Go. Uh, it is actually pretty hilarious because I have no clue what I'm doing. Uh, Go is a very different language from the things I've worked with before. I've mostly been a Python and JavaScript developer. I've worked with languages like C and C++ on a low level, but Go is just... Completely new experience, um, but I'm really excited to learn it and tackle it on. I've also taken a different approach to my learning with Go than I have with other programming languages. Uh, one thing that I've kind of committed to is learning by doing um, and doing so very proactively. So every time I'm trying to learn a new topic in Go, I will find um, an idea for an open source package or library that I want to create that I'll publish along with that learning process. So right now I'm in the middle of learning about Go's um, array data structure, which is known as a slice. Um, and as I'm learning about slices, I'm working on writing a simple library uh, where you can manipulate slices, say, um, determine the union between two slices or the difference or get the index of an element in a slice. And I've been doing all of that in an open source um, capacity. And that's kind of been an interesting approach to learning for me because it's all out there. Um, and it's very like insanely messy code because I'm learning. Um, but it's just good to like have it out there um, and kind of show people the, ex the excitement I have about learning Go and um, how interesting this new language is for me. And I suppose by putting yourself out there, there's a little bit extra incentive to get a good grasp of what's going on. Yeah. How did you decide to begin with Go and how do you make time to learn new things? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, so I originally intended to learn a systems-focused programming language. Um, it was just kind of a personal goal that I had. I felt that it was kind of a good... Um, and necessary skill to have alongside my existing programming language experience. Python kind of covered the scripting end and the back end thing end of things. Um, with JavaScript, I had solid web focus skills, and I just felt that I needed a systems language to really like complete the trifecta. Um, <laughs> and I'd started off with Rust because I had heard a lot of really great things about it and a lot of people I follow on Twitter and look up to were Rust developers and I was like okay this is this looks like it'd be interesting to figure out um, and I just got to a point where like it did not work for me like just my mind wouldn't drive with Rust that well um, and I tried not to beat myself up um, for it I was like let me see if there's another language I can pursue um, that will still kind of cover that systems focus, but might be easier for me to pick up syntax-wise and kind of um, language philosophy-wise. And I just found Go was the more appealing language for me. Um, and once I kind of uh, 
had settled on go, I actually didn't go through the normal process that I usually go through where I'll find like a book that's like introduction to go or like learn go the hard way. I like went straight for um, starting to write those open source libraries that I was talking about and starting to learn about the different concepts within Go as opposed to the syntax. Uh, and that's mostly because I think I'm at the point and I've been at this point for a long time now in my developer experience where it's no longer about syntax for me, it's about concepts. Um, and so I think most of the intro material, I'm a little bit beyond. Um, I just kind of mm. like dive into it. Um, and, and swim in the deep end for a little bit and see where it takes me. So hopefully that approach will work. Uh, <laughs> we'll see in a little bit. <laughs> and that seems to be what happens with a lot of devs, though. When you start moving between languages, it seems to become more about the underlying concepts and the patterns that apply across languages. Safia, is there a specific aspect of our programming that has dramatically changed the way that you think about and write code? So I think... The one thing that has changed the way that I write software is recognizing that it's not about the characters on the screen or in the code editor so much as it is about the people who are going to be using the software or modifying and reading the software. Um, like, there is this point that you get to, um, and I was someone who started to code when they were very young. I started building websites and HTML and CSS when I was like 10 years old. I taught myself Python when I was 13. And because I was self-taught and self-taught in isolation, so much of programming for me was about the machine for the longest time. Mm. It was about me telling the machine what to do, the, res the machine responding back to me, me changing my code, the machine responding back to me. It was a machine person relationship for the longest time. And I think the moment I realized, and this happened when I started working in open source, that programming is not about the machine-person relationship so much as it is about the person-to-person -person relationship that's enabled by the machine, that I started to realize that you don't write code so the machine will be happy um, or so that your test will pass um, or so that you know your website will look a certain way so much as you do um, write code so that other people will be able to read it, so that other people will be able to modify it, so that the website will look appealing um, to human beings with different experiences or abilities than yours. Um, so in summary, it's the realization that it's not about you and the machine, it's about you and the other people out there. Um, this changed the way that I write code. Yeah, and I can relate to that too. I'm always aware of how other people are going to feel when they look at my code. Are they going to understand it? Will I even understand what I've done a year from now? Yeah. And I think a lot of my decisions are based on the pressure of how others will interpret my work. And with that, we've come to the end of our first segment. Safia, I'm about to throw some quickfire questions your way. Let's do this. Awesome. What is the best advice about programming you've ever received? Always write tests. Always write tests. Are you full TDD or what is your approach? I try to be. I am the terrible person. Uh, not terrible. I shouldn't be self-deprecating. But I'm the kind of person who will like test um, in like an interactive environment, like on the REPL. I'll test my code. And then I will never take those tests 
and write them and solidify them in an actual test suite. And this is like something that I'm working on because it's writing tests is not fun. It's like eating your vegetables. You got to do it. It's good for you. But <laughs> vegetables can be so icky sometimes. So I'm trying to get better at that. Uh, you need to reframe those tests, cover them in honey or something. They're the, <laughs> they're the greatest. <laughs> Barbecue sauce covered. <laughs> that's the solution to all my problems. Yeah. Oh, wow. That sounds great. I think there's an opportunity for a new library there. Now, which personal habits do you attribute to writing better code? Running. I um, actually gave a keynote about this at PyCon in Canada um, in 2016, uh, where I talked about the relationship between running and programming. But I think having the um, avenue away from a machine to engage my mind and my body has done the most for me um, with respect to how well my code turns out after I go out on a run. Um, or once running is kind of included regularly as part of my lifestyle. Oh, there's some parallels with Alan Turing over there. Yeah. If you could recommend one book on programming, what would it be and why? Ooh. I want to recommend a book. Let, let me know if this is okay with you. I want to recommend a book that I recommended on another podcast. Is that okay? I don't want to be like... <laughs> no, I want my own book. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes it happens, I, you know. Um, I'll, I'll use that book since I think it's actually really great. Um, so the one book that I definitely recommend anyone check out, and it doesn't matter what your technical skill set is um, or what aspect of software you're into, whether you're a web developer or a desktop developer, you have to read Code, the Hidden Language of Computer Hardware and Software by Charles Petzold. It is a fantastic book. I read it back in high school. Um, it covers everything you need to know about computers from the low level of like how logic gates work um, all the way to like the grand scheme of things of like what we're into on the day to day of like actually writing code and programming languages. So it's just a really great book for anyone to check out and it's totally accessible. So whether you are a new developer or have been programming for 20 plus years, you'll definitely love this book. Safia, who in the front-end world is doing work that's really inspiring to you? Um, am I allowed to mul mention multiple people? <laughs> Go for it. Awesome. Uh, so I want to mention uh, Sarah Dreisner. Uh, she is a super awesome front-end developer. Most of her focus is on... Um, SVG animations at the moment. She's a fantastic woman, super smart, super kind person, super technically competent. She like checks all of the boxes. So I'm definitely a fangirl of hers. Um, I'm also gonna thank, I think this would count as multiple people, but I will put it in as a uh, group of people. I've been mostly working with React on the front end nowadays, and I wanna thank everyone who maintains or contributes to the React project. They all do such an awesome job of um, maintaining the project um, and holding off um, or standing their ground against a lot of really like kind of mean criticism that they might get about the project and they're always looking to improve it. Um, and I also want to give one last shout out to Kent C. Dodds who kind of works in the JavaScript ecosystem. Um, he's like the nicest person on Twitter. He's like the good guy, Greg like the actual good guy of uh, <laughs> the JavaScript world. Uh, such a sweet person, one of those characters that really brightens the atmosphere and uh, 
kind of makes you feel like warm and fuzzy about being a web developer. Um, his Twitter is awesome to follow, so I strongly recommend you follow him um, if you're interested in JavaScript in any way. I mean, kind of those are my three groups of people. So Safia, let's reverse things a little bit over here. Imagine you wake up and you have no recollection of ever having written code. With the tools, books, and courses available today, how would you go about learning to program from scratch? Ooh, that is an interesting question. Um, so I think one of the most important things for me when it comes to learning to develop is having like an end goal. When I started to build websites back when I was 10 years old, my end goal was like building a really like awesome Neopets profile with CSS and HTML. Um, so I think the first thing I would do is make sure that I had an actual goal that I wanted to accomplish by learning to program. Like learning to program in and of itself, I don't think is a good goal, but say learning to program so I can build this app or this website or so I can make my life easier in this way is a good goal. And once I have that established, I am quite a fan of things like Code School um, and Code Academy, like those web-based tools uh, with interactive REPLs and kind of tutorials that you can follow through. They're the ones that work best for me. I'm also quite a fan of Khan Academy as someone who is more of a visual slash video-based learner. So those are like the two things I would do if I were to go about learning to program all over again, even though I've been doing it for a long time now, is figure out something that I wanted to do and then hit up Codecademy or Khan Academy or Code School. And Safia, let's wrap up today with your top tip on how to work smart, the best way we can connect with you, and then we'll say goodbye. Um, how to work smart, in my opinion, is cut out anything that you think is unnecessary um, and take care of yourself personally as a developer. Make sure that your mind is healthy. Make sure that your body is healthy. Um, value your emotional and physical wellness. Um, and with that, I think you've got all the tools that you need to be an awesome developer. If you're interested in connecting with me, uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Captain Sophia. Captain Sophia is my internet handle pretty much everywhere, so you can check me out there. You can also check out my website, which is sophia.rocks. That's R-O-C-K-S. It is an actual top-level domain, uh, so you can check it out there. And that's got links to like my LinkedIn and my Twitter and blog and all that fun internet stuff. Um, <laughs> so you can find me there. Awesome. Now, to everyone out there, you've been hanging with Safia Abdullah and Larry Boerter. Head over to fixate.it where you'll find links and timestamps for everything we've been chatting about today. And Safia, thank you for sharing your journey with Fixate on Code. Keep pushing the limits and keep pushing great code. 